Hey guys, this is Pastor Mark Warren from Church at the Crossroads. Thank you for checking out our podcast. My prayer is that you're encouraged and challenged as you hear, understand, and obey God's Word today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9. And um, today we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to dive right into this topic of human and divine will. And how that all works. And, and you know, when you look at this chapter, if you've been reading through the book of Romans, I remember reading through the book of Romans for the first time. And I remember getting to chapter 9, 10, and 11 thinking, wow. Let me go back to chapter 6, 7, and 8. They were a lot easier. And chapter 5. And chapter 9, 10, and 11 can be uh, a challenge. In fact, there are entire denominations that would base their beliefs on Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And there is, um, in the theological circles, there's a lot of uh, discussion about this uh, chapter. And by God's grace, uh, we want to we jump into it and we want to look at it. And this topic came to the forefront of my education when I was in college. I was sitting in chapel one day at the uh, college that I went to to prepare for ministry. We had chapel every day. And one day, one of my favorite professors, he was preaching, and he stood up, and this uh, fellow student stood up in the chapel of about three or probably three to 350 people, and he started saying something about going to India. I didn't know what in the world this guy was doing. And then the professor said, sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he doesn't need you and I. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And what the professor was doing was he was sitting up, or he was making us ready, he was gathering our attention to preach a sermon based on William Carey. William Carey was a missionary many years ago to India. And in his denomination, he had a vision that he wanted to go to India to preach the gospel. And his denomination said, sit down, young man. If God wanted to reach the people in India, he doesn't need you. He can do it on his own. Because that denomination believed that before the foundation of the world, that God selected the people that would be saved. And that if you did not make that cut, if you were not selected, then you were not going to be saved. And there was no need to be worried about that. There was no need to spend any denominational money to go to India because this was, this was not important. And so uh, from that, William Carey left that denomination and he struggled to get over there and he helped uh, establish a mission to the people of India and this professor was telling that story. And a lot of what that man believed who told William Carey to sit down, young man, comes from his understanding of Romans 9 through 11. So it's not something we can really ignore. 
And you might grow in your Christian faith and you might read. Nowadays, people can listen to podcasts. They can buy topical Bible studies and, and really learn a lot about the Bible and grow spiritually. But if you are going to cover the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to have to deal with the hard stuff as well as the easy stuff. And at some point in time, you're going to encounter somebody who's an expert. And if you've never heard Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you have no clue what that's about, you're not going to know what to say to that person. You know, because it's just like if somebody comes to your, your door and they're a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, and they start talking, and, and you might say, well, you know, I know I don't believe that, but I don't have a clue what to say to this person because they're so educated and well-versed in their beliefs that I can't answer their questions. So I want to give you a basis to understand uh, this passage, and I will, uh, on Wednesday night, we'll discuss it, and certainly I encourage you, I am not afraid of conversation, nor am I afraid if you read it and you say, well, I believe differently. I'm okay with that, because I believe in the understanding of scripture, um, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And the church at Berea, Paul said they were more noble because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was true. And I encourage you, uh, you know, I've, I have this book that I'm toting around and it's a study on the book of Romans, and it breaks it down into the Greek words, the historical and the cultural background. On the internet, you can find several more books, and there are many sources out there to study, to be prepared, to understand God's Word. And in doing that, you're going to run into people who have differences of opinion, and that's certainly okay. We don't disagree on the major things, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming again, that there is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Bible is the Word of God. But on minor issues, there is difference, differences of opinion, and that's why we have many denominations, but... Uh, the person who is following Christ and seeking to understand God's word would be wise to understand the different viewpoints and to be able to speak with maturity and calmness with those who disagree. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a gift of grace. So let's get into God's word. It says, Paul, you know, as we title this section, Paul was grieved because there were a small amount of Jewish believers in the early church that many of the Jewish people did not receive Christ. And John wrote, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. And Paul describes that. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's, he was saying, I'm being honest with you guys. I'm opening up my feelings 
that I am grieved because my people, the Jewish people, have rejected Christ and are, many of them are in unbelief. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I know many parents that they would allow their soul to be damned if it would save their children. That they have that much of an emotional love for their children. And they would use the same language. And that's the language Paul is using. He says, I feel like I could forfeit my salvation if it simply would reach my brothers and sisters who do not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul also says that they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus was Jewish. He came unto his own. Who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You know, Paul was saying, these Israelites, my brethren, they're not just anybody. These are the chosen people of God who have rejected Christ. Many of them, not all. And Paul explains that many of the Israelites had rejected God's word. Now, this should not be a surprise if we've read the Bible. Because in the Old Testament, we see that God sent the Israelites prophets, and they rejected the prophets. And God sent them, eventually he sent them his son, and they rejected his son. Stephen preached in the book of Acts, and Stephen said, you know, God sent these people, and you rejected Joseph, and you rejected the prophets, and you rejected Jesus. And he said, who have you not rejected that God sent to you? And with that, they picked up stones and they uh, stoned Stephen. And Stephen said, Lord Jesus, you know, don't forgive them. You know, don't hold this sin against them. So God's people, the people that God chose through whom the Messiah would come, have rejected Christ, as do many people in this world. And Paul writes that it is not, though, as the word of God has failed. So Paul says, hold on, let me explain something. The problem was not with God's word. And I understand that. If somebody fails my class as a teacher, guess whose fault it is? It's my fault, right? I didn't teach the material. I have to document that I taught them. You know, if you're a teacher today, you have to document that you taught people. Because if they don't pass, they're going to say, you did not teach the material. And this mindset is not new to us. It's been around for a long time. And Paul's making the argument is we do not blame God. We do not blame God's word because God's word was given and it was rejected. And Paul says, for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So Paul's going to make the argument that just because somebody is born Jewish, does not mean they want to follow and obey God. It does not mean they want to keep God's commandments. And Paul explains that God 
can elect who he sees fit for salvation. That God is not limited. That in regard to election and the selection of the people who would be saved, that God does not have to only select those who are Israelites. That God is free to elect those who would come to him. And he explains that and he says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this year, time next year, and this was given to Abraham, that I will return and Sarah will have a son. Isaac was born as a son of promise. Not a son according to the flesh, but it was a promise that they had to trust God. And if you remember the story of Abraham, Abraham was older. He did not have children. And, and God asked him to believe and trust him that he would have a son. So Isaac was a son born of a promise based on faith. And the Bible says that God saw the faith of Abraham, that God's word was true, that he would have a son, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls. Now let me explain that story. Isaac, Rebekah, had two children, two twins, Esau and Isaac. The firstborn was Esau and Jacob. I'm sorry. I heard somebody say that. Esau was born first. So according to tradition, God should select Esau, the firstborn. That's not what God did. God was free to choose whom he wished. And he chose Jacob. And Jacob represented the children of Israel, through whom he would build the Hebrew nation, the Jewish nation, through whom the Messiah would come. Now there's a verse, Romans 9:13, that you're going to have to answer if you're going to be able to defend your faith. It's a verse that you might not hear in our, our warm, receptive you know, congregation of like-minded people. But if you go down to the university or if you go to a church where uh, they believe strongly in topics such as election and predestination, they're going to use Romans 9.13. So I don't want to back away from it. It would be very tempting to preach this message and just pull out some of these verses. But that there would be a couple people, some of you might not know that, but some of you would. And I don't want to do that. So before I jump into that verse, I want to set the stage that God selected Jacob. What I would believe is he selected Jacob based on his foreknowledge that Jacob would make the choices that would lead to God's purpose and God's plan. And that God would have been questioned because he overlooked Esau and did not choose him, because Esau was the firstborn. That God didn't say, okay, I like this guy, I don't like that guy. 
and I'm going to destroy his life and make his life great. Because throughout this sermon, I believe that the whole of Scripture, scripture teaches two things. One, that people have individual responsibility for their choices. I don't think there's anything in Scripture you know, that you're going to find. I don't think you're going to find a theme in Scripture where God picks people to be good and God picks people to be bad and negates human responsibility or human choice. You and I make choices, and the other thing I believe is that God knows what those choices would be. Not only does God know what I will do, I would say, I would argue that God knows what I would have done if I was in a particular situation. That there are many temptations that I don't have, that you don't have, because God kept us from having that particular temptation. But should I have had that? Like if you took me over to a buffet, God knows what choices I would make. He knows I'd eat the pizza and leave the vegetables. He knows that. Now, God, God might have it that I end up at a fruit bar today. Even then, he knows what fruit I would pick. He knows I'm going to pick the apples, you know, leave the oranges. That's just, he knows me. And he knows you. He knew Jacob. He knew Esau. Because if you read the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau chose things according to a pattern. You can see a pattern in the choices that Esau made. Esau thought of his flesh. Now, Jacob was no perfect man. He made bad choices. But God, in his grace, understood those choices he would make. And in the Old Testament, the choice that pleased God is the choice of faith in God. In the New Testament, the choice that God favors is the face of faith in Christ. Now, let me kind of illustrate how this works. We have some cats. I'm sorry, Mr. Mike, I know you love cats, so hopefully this won't offend you. We have some cats. Now, there were some cats that I had a role in those cats. That was a long time ago. Amy and I went to the Paul's or whatever that place was, and we selected some cats. Okay, now there's this other cat. I did not select that other cat, but I have chosen that cat, apparently. And you know why I chose that cat? Because that cat selected that daughter. And that cat receives my mercy because of, is it a he or a her, Ivy? The little one. Yeah, the orange one. Okay. He receives my mercy because he selected my daughter. And I love my daughter. And because of my love for my daughter, when that cat selected Ivy, I selected the cat. And when I look at and I know this analogy is not perfect. I know it's not perfect. But when I look at the plan of God... And how does this all work? God's sovereignty, human choice, how does the thing all work? I believe that God looks at us, and I believe in election. I believe God elects people. But you know who God elects? 
those who choose Christ. When Jesus saw an imperfect person select his perfect son, he chose him. And he selected him. And now, by God's grace, I have all the benefits, all of the provision, all of the grace, all of the mercy of heaven, based not on me being better than anybody, not on me being somehow one of God's favorites, not because of the church I went to, not because of my skin, not because of my privilege. I simply was chosen because I selected Christ. And in selecting Christ, I was bound to God and God couldn't let me go. I am bound to that cat, that, I don't even know, the, that orange cat. I'm, born, I'm bound to the orange cat. Financially, shots, whatever that, whatever that means probably. And God knows this will not be forgotten. This conversation will not be forgotten. Should that cat need a toy, it will be remembered. Because that cat selected my daughter. And if you want to be, if you're worried, if you're reading this stuff and you're saying, well, I don't know if God selects me. I don't know if I'm elect or not. You know, the, the church over there told me that God only saves the elect. Am I elect? Am I one of those people? You know, I used to go to the church and the guy would preach about God's elect and how God chose. And, and I'm thinking, am I one of those? I don't look like these people. How do I become one of those? Well, I think the Bible makes it clear that God's free to choose whoever he wants. I'm free to choose any cat I want. I'm free. No one can tell me that. That's my choice. You know? But I choose to select the one that selects my daughter. That's who I choose. And God, and even though it's not a perfect analogy, God chooses to select. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. I couldn't save myself. You can't save yourself. But God can give you the power. God can choose you. God can select you. God can adopt you. God can give you repentance and faith. And how does what triggers that come to Christ? Don't come to your self-righteousness. Don't come to your church. Don't come to your race. Don't come to your denomination. Don't come to your family. Don't come to your traditions. Come to Christ. And in Christ there is mercy and forgiveness and election and selection and you are adopted into the kingdom of God. So let's look at how Paul says it in these verses. And Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. God, in his foreknowledge, he knew what was going to happen. And as it's written, Jacob has I loved. Jacob, I love Esau, have I hated. The way of the flesh is just like God says, Christ says, if you follow me, you must hate your mother and father. God does not mean for you to hate 
your father and mother. But your love, in contrast, your love for God should be such that your love for your family is considered like a hatred. And in this election that God loves Jacob in the choices that he made, and he hates Esau in the choices that he made that would represent the Edomites who rejected God, who rejected the things of God. And Jacob with the Israelites, although they're imperfect, they come to God, they come to God's covenant, and it's through them that God's son came. And what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And Paul argues that God is free to show mercy to whom he will show mercy. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses imperfectly tried to walk by faith and obey God and walk in relationship with God. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And in the beginning of the narrative, Pharaoh hardens his heart. The language is, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Eventually, a verse comes and says, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So what, what took place? The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. That if we resist God and we resist his son, if we resist trust in him and his covenant, and we refuse his salvation, eventually our hearts will be hard. And according to Romans, God gives us over to what we want. And eventually anybody who falls into addiction and sin realizes that it goes from bad to worse. That what we will be tomorrow, we are actually becoming today. And when we reject Christ and we put up the wall and we say, I don't want to surrender to him, we follow that path. The path that those in the Bible who followed themselves rather than God went down. And while that path might begin where it's kind of hard to tell because you're making some good choices and bad, the consistent choosing of ourselves over God will result in a life that looks nothing like, you know, just look at the prisons and the people who've grown up and done horrible things. Look at the down, downward spiral, how it goes from bad to worse when we reject Christ. That while we harden our hearts in the beginning and we say no to God, eventually there is a hardening of the heart where there's no turning back. And God in his word and in the book of Romans and Paul is arguing for us to come to Christ and to surrender our lives to Christ and not to reject God's mercy. And don't say that God will save these and God will save those, but not these. That God will save the Jewish people who have the law, who have the covenant, and he's going to reject the Gentiles. No, God is free to show mercy on who he wants to have mercy and he's chosen to place mercy on Christ. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, Paul writes. So the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, 
I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he who has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. That God was not intimidated by Pharaoh. Although Pharaoh you know, made the choice to reject God and to serve himself and to be defiant, that God says, in my mercy, I will allow you to disobey me. I will allow you to harden your heart, and ultimately I will harden your heart, and you will be sh- your, my power be sh- will be shown through you. That God will receive glory, whether he s- receives glory in our obedience or he receives glory in the consequences that we incur because we reject him. That in no way is this world somehow dependent. If we were to wake up and be at the mercy of men and women who made bad choices, we would not have an all-powerful, all-knowing God. But God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and even the bad choices of people in this world will ultimately be used to bring glory to God. And that is a mystery, and that is, there's comfort in that, that if I will surrender to Christ, and I, I will follow and obey Christ, no matter how twisted and distorted this world is, is that ultimately God is going to win because he is the creator. If God created the world and set everything in motion, then it would only logically fall that God is more powerful than any person although it might seem in this world that people have power. But that power will be taken away and they will be humbled eventually. Paul explained that God's mercy is based on faith in Christ and not our ethnicity. Not the fact that they were Jewish, not for, because we're in a church, but God's mercy is based on faith in Christ. And you will say to me then, then why does God find fault? You know, Paul makes the argument, then people will say, well, if God shows mercy on whom he wants, you know, whom he wants to have mercy, then how can he hold people accountable? Because throughout scripture, it says you chose, that you are given a free will, that you were created in the image of God, and you choose whether or not you obey or whether or not you disobey, and there are real consequences to those choices that God does not remove those consequences from your choices. So who can resist his will? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say the, to the molder, why have you made me like this? Some people would argue, well, I wish God didn't create me with a choice. I wish God created me in such a way that I only could obey him. Well, that would have violated the nature of God. That would have violated your free will if God made you and I as robots. Although in some ways you might think, well, man, I I wish I didn't have a choice. Don't be afraid of your free choice. I encourage you to choose Christ, to come to Christ and surrender to Christ, and to live this life together with us who struggle but yet persevere in faith, knowing that one day God is going to remove this struggle, that we come down to this altar confessing our sins, praying for help, needing each other. We struggle with sin. We struggle with unbelief at times. We struggle with hurt and pain. We struggle with loss. We struggle with all of these things like everyone else in the world. 
But yet we have Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? That Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and as we surrender to him and we have his presence, and even though we struggle and we don't pretend to have it all together, that that struggle will end when Christ returns. And in this life, we will be better off struggling with a relationship with Christ than if we independently did it on our own. You know, that we need Christ, we need each other, we need to encourage people. When we see people crying and struggling at the altar and trying to live this Christian life and struggling with sins that discourage them, we encourage them, we build them up, we pick them back up. When men fall down, we help them get back up. When men go to prison, we visit them and share the gospel with them. When people are overseas in third world countries and they don't have the resources they need, we get on planes and we go to those places and we share the gospel. We share the love of Christ. We take risks. We get our hands dirty. We deal with the messy business of discipleship because the love of Christ constrains us because we were chosen not based on being great, wonderful people, but we were chosen because we recognize that Jesus is precious and there is no one else like Christ. And we say like Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That we're not going to found salvation in any other. Paul, uh, they write salvation in no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is in Christ, in our surrender to Christ. He is our only hope of salvation. He is the best way of sanctification. And he is our promise of glorification when Christ shall return and we'll be forever in the presence of the Lord. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and to be without struggle, to be without pain, and to be without sin. And we long for that, we look for that, but while we're here, we make use of this time to reach other people and be used according to His purpose, not our purpose because God is working all things together to the good of those who love him. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? When you make good choices, God is going to mold you together to be more like Christ. When you make bad choices, you're going to be molded together in that same fashion. Ultimately, it is your choice. There's nothing in this passage. If you connect this passage with the rest of the Word of God, this is not a passage, this is not a passage that teaches fatalism. This is not a passage that teaches that you have no control over your choices. If you're here today and you're born again and you are a follower of Christ and you have a relationship with Christ, you are free to make choices. You are free from sin. Sin has no power over you. If you sin, it's because you chose to sin. God forgives you. God has mercy. And God wants to take that through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and change that so that you will grow spiritually. Many people start sinning, they start struggling, and they give up on the Christian life. 
They thought that somehow they would come down here, they would pray a prayer, and that Christ would save them and then never have a struggle. It doesn't work that way. It's a spiritual battle. And you begin to recognize truth from God's word, and you see it in the lives of people who overcome sin through their faith in Christ. And you can say, like Paul, follow my example, as, follow me as I follow Christ. You look at people who follow Christ, who set an example to overcome sin. Don't follow the example of the people who keep making the same mistake over and over again. Pray for them, encourage them, but look for people that God is doing something in their life and they're allowing God to do it and they're making consistent choices to follow and obey Christ. They're not perfect. They're not without sin, but base your goal. You know, if I want to get better on a musical instrument, I'm going to look at someone up here playing the songs right. I'm not going to follow the example of somebody who's just learning and somebody that's struggling. It's common sense. Apply the same thing spiritually. God wants you to grow spiritually. There are people that are following Christ. You can learn from their example. You can be encouraged. You can read books by men and women who followed Christ and served Christ so that you get as close as you can in this life to being the person that God has called you to be without giving up when you struggle. Verse 22, what if God desiring to show his wrath and make known his power has endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Not just religious people, but people, some people have never even been to church. Who's going to get saved? Those who receive Christ. Black and white, rich and poor, male and female, young and old, Jewish and Gentile, English, Irish, Indian, African. God calls many people. God calls, but we must respond to him. And indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it said to them, you're not my people. There they will call, be called sons of the living God. Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, not just the Jews. The people had a hard time with that. They couldn't understand it. They thought God's chosen people was the Jews. Why in the world are all these Gentiles in our church? Well, God loves them too, you know? And historically, you know, there's some churches, it's like, we want this group. We don't want that group. That's not biblical. God loves people. God calls people. God can have mercy on whomever he wants. Paul explained that Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. <coughs> Very few Jewish people have responded to Christ here recently. You know, it's... It's the reality that many are called, but few are responding in faith. And Paul addresses this. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, 
we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. If God did not intervene in our world, if God did not call people to him, we would have all drifted away. If God did not convict us through the Holy Spirit to come to him and reach out to us, not one of us would be born again. But God has reached out to us. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, let me get back to that verse. I am sorry. What should we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Many people who are not even looking for Christ, who have no, you know, I used to think, well, you know, I should try to reach out to people who, who are kind of drawn to Christ. No, reach out to anyone. Reach out to everyone. There are people not even thinking about Jesus. There's young people in my class that have no concern about the things of God whatsoever. They're just having fun. They're just thinking about basketball and, and thinking about all these things. They're not thinking about Jesus. You know, some of those can get saved if they hear God's word. If they hear the gospel, they could come to Christ. And then there are people who are trying to work their way to heaven. There are people consumed with religion. And they're trying to be a good person and work their way to heaven. You know, we can't be a good person. We make mistakes. We need a relationship with Christ. That's why it's so important that we communicate Christ to people. But that Israel who pursued the law, keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, that would lead to righteousness. If you could obey the law in its fullest, you would be saved, but we can't reach the law. They did not exceed in reaching the law. They tried to do all of those things. They tried to keep every rule, and yet they fell short. And it's to those people that the gospel went out, come to Christ who fulfilled the law. But what did they do? They rejected Christ. When Jesus ate with sinners, they didn't like that. When Jesus preached the gospel, they didn't want to hear that. Jesus said, it is not the, the whole, whole who need the doctor, but the sick. And they said, well, we're not sick. We can do it on our own, but you can't. I can't. We need Christ. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They did not trust the finished work of Christ. Either you work for your salvation and earn it by keeping every single law in the Bible, or you come to Christ who has fulfilled God's law, and you trust him, and you receive his righteousness, and you enter into relationship with him and follow and obey God through a relationship with Christ. They had stumbled over the stumbling stone. Christ was a stumbling block to those who rejected him in God's way. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So those who receive Christ will receive salvation. couple things. God calls everyone to repent of their sins and trust Christ alone for their salvation. Jewish, Gentile, black and white. God calls us. There is a call given to come to Christ. God's salvation is available for everyone. That's throughout Scripture. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, I am sharing this for someone, if there should be someone or if you should hear one day, that, man, you got to be one of the elect to be saved. You know, and somehow that just work in your mind thinking, well, I don't know if I meet that. We are so driven to please other people that if you have it in your mind, well, do I please God? How do I please God? Does God love me? Does God care about me? Yes, God loves you and has sent his son to be the savior of the world. God's salvation can be rejected. We can reject God's salvation through Christ. God allows us to do that. We have a free will where we can say no to God. He does not force us like robots to believe in him. And God calls everyone, but he elects those who trust in Christ. God's call, I see this pattern throughout Scripture, that God's call is for everyone. God's selection and election is for those who come to Christ, and that results in a salvation. Finally, Christ is our cornerstone. Thanks for joining us today. Visit us at crossroadsahoski.com for more information, additional resources, and service times.